Welcome to episode number 27 of the Dust Safety Science Podcast. We're looking to create a global community around workplace safety and industries handling combustible dust. Today's episode, we're doing an interview with Dr. Johannes Lauterman, Director of Explosion Safety at Remby Safety and Control, based out of Brilon, Germany. And in the interview, we're talking about the German VDI standards for explosion safety and how that compares with explosion safety standards elsewhere in the world. So today's episode and interview really go along with our 2019 goal or our 2019 focus area, which is understanding combustible dust as a global challenge and coming up with global solutions. And today's interview, we'll be going through what does the VDI standard in Germany look like? How does it compare with the, the ATEX standards that are more generally applied in all of Europe? Uh, what are different parts of the standard? And in this case, it's broken down into different equipment. Um, there's parts on spray dryers, on bucket elevators, on dust collectors. Then we get into Dr. Johannes's or Dr. Lauterman's thoughts on combustible dust safety in general, how the regulation, how the approaches in Germany and elsewhere in the world are similar and different uh, to approaches that are used maybe in North America, what are some of the different terminologies used and what are some of the different um, thought processes that are used. And then he gets into differences between dust explosion and gas explosion, whether or not they really are different phenomena and whether or not um, they need different approaches. And, and his recommendation is that if you do a, a systematic approach to understanding the hazard, that really you'll, you'll be able to capture both of these. And then we get into some of the challenges that we have worldwide with combustible dust regulation, combustible dust awareness, and talking about how we need to take a, look, a scientific look at combustible dust safety um, and allow that to guide our approaches that we're using for workplace safety in this area. So I really know you're going to enjoy this episode and this interview with Dr. Lauterman. I really appreciate him taking his time, and I really appreciate you taking the time out of your day to listen to the Dust Safety Science Podcast. Welcome to episode number 27 of the Dust Safety Science Podcast. Today's episode, we're interviewing Dr. Johannes Lauterman, Director of Explosion Safety at Remby Safety and Control, based in Brilon, Germany. Johannes, welcome to the show today. Hi, welcome, Chris. Thank you very much for letting me be in here. Johannes is a, is a good, good friend of mine and a really highly regarded expert in, in explosion safety and in dust explosion safety in general. Uh, so I'm really excited to have him on the show today to talk about the German BDI standards a bit, how combustible dust is treated in that framework, and also just the, the kind of global understanding of combustible dust safety. I know he's, he's traveling all around Europe, all around China, um, and throughout North America as well on, on this topic. So he's really got a good global coverage. Um, Dr. Lauterman finished his doctorate in fire and explosion safety from the University of Wuppertal prior to joining Remby. He joined Remby in 2010. He's a member of several of the VDI technical committees. And we'll talk about what that actually is in, in this podcast episode. Uh, he's chairman of the scientific technical committee at INDEX, the Intercontinental Association of Experts for Industrial Explosion Protection. So with kind of all those backgrounds, that's why he's a really great person to have on to talk about the global understanding of combustible dust safety. I actually first met Dr. Lauterman Johannes at Mary Kay O'Connor Process Safety Center at their, their annual conference in 2013. I asked him before we got on the call if he remembers this, but he actually showed me some rupture discs um, and explosion venting back then at a kind of booth. And then I didn't really meet him again until 2017. Once I started this website, which was originally mydustexplosionresearch.com, now it's dustsafetyscience.com, um, I really started this platform 
he was one of the first people to reach out and say, Hey, can we, can we get on a call and just discuss what you're doing? I, I'm really interested in just seeing it grow because I think it's important. Remby, along with Jeffrey Nichols, who was episode 23 of the podcast, they were the first two companies that actually came on as supporters in the newsletter and really let me know that this is something important that we can get into the world. So before we jumped into the podcast episode, I want to give some of that background and then just personally say thank you to Johannes because without him supporting me and without people like Jeffrey Nichols and those supporting me early on, I really wouldn't have understood that this was something that was needed. And we probably wouldn't even be here today talking. So, so thank you, Honest. I very much appreciate it. Uh, thank you, Chris. Honestly, um, my brother, who's a mental coach, he told me once that there's always to be someone who believes more in you than you. And um, I definitely can speak for the entire dust uh, safety community to say we do absolutely appreciate your work. It's fantastic. It is so great that somebody in a neutral position picked that role and just drives what all of us should drive safety, um, improving the safety in this very well unknown, in certain cases, even underestimated risk. And so, Chris, uh, you're a good friend and uh, and a brother from another mother, I have to admit. Well, I appreciate that. And anyone that's met Johannes in person will know that uh, he's he is a really, really smart individual in this area, but he's also got a great sense of humor about it, unless it comes to doing something unsafely, and then he very quickly turns into you know, this is the correct way to do things. So I, I really appreciate it. Uh, maybe just to start off this episode, and again, the, what we're talking about here is the, the title will be Understanding the German BDI Standards for Explosion Safety, but we're also going to get into what are some of the, the struggles that we have globally on these issues. But to start off, can you explain a bit about your current role with, with Rambi Safety and Control? Sure. Well, in a nutshell, Rambi is, as many others uh, companies, um, known uh, to be a supplier for uh, protective systems, autonomous protective systems that mitigate effects from uh, devastating dust explosions. However, our approach is uh, quite different. Uh, coming from uh, the German DMT, the uh, German mining technology, uh, which was part of the TUV organization uh, in 2005, where I started my career as a consultant, I uh, started driving the consulting approach uh, within Rembi as well. So our uh, slogan, consulting, engineering, products, and service, is uh, at the end of the day where what we think is what distinguishes us uh, from just some uh, uh, suppliers um, in the market uh, of explosion protective systems. So my daily job is to fly around the globe uh, to educate our people, to educate uh, our clients, and to um, inspect plants, uh, carry out dust hazard analysis, uh, carry out risk analysis um, to work out safety concepts that are safe and compliant. Yeah, that's a great summary. And, and I, I will mention that I've seen uh, Johannes present several times on the topic. I've seen him you know, get in there and discuss it with clients. And he is, he is traveling and talking to end users quite a bit, as well as academics, as well as researchers. He's at um, ISHMI, the International Symposium on Hazard Prevention and Mitigation of Industrial Explosions this year. And so it really does tie in with just not being an equipment provider, but also providing services, um, awareness, and understanding in, in this space. So I think that's a, a really needed role. And I'm happy to see Remy kind of step up and fill it like they have been since you know the last decade or so. To kind of get a, a lock in on, on how things look in Germany, we actually had uh, Nicholas Kitzhofer 
on episode 24 of the podcast, and he was talking about the Chinese national standards. He's, he's based out of Renby, China. Um, we've, also had, we've also had people on from the UK discuss how it looks in the, the United Kingdom, um, how combustible looks, dust looks in America. So we're really trying to collect these different perspectives up. So can you tell us a bit about what are the standards in Germany that apply to combustible dust? First of all, Renby, um, pardon, uh, Germany being a part of the European Union, we are all working under the framework of the ATEX directive, which I don't want to go into that deep, as uh, you already mentioned that this has been already uh, a topic at one of your podcasts. However, the European idea is to allow every country within this framework or within this, yeah, within this framework or the, the idea and the scope of the ATEX directive to give out some very own guidance, some some very own guidelines. And that's uh, what we did uh, in Germany with the so-called VDI standards. VDI stands for Verein Deutscher Ingenieure and uh, means um, it comes from the Association of German Engineers. It is, the VDI standards are addressing several uh, engineering topics and there's one specific VDI row, as we call it, the VDI row 2263 that is addressing combustible dust hazards. And it is um, mainly a paper that um, is addressed to uh, dust hazards in certain specific equipment. Maybe that's a good way to explain things. And I just want to kind of clarify that so that we, we can get a good base on it. So Germany is obviously, obviously part of Europe. Europe um, follows these kind of ATEX guidelines. And then how is that specifically included in, in VDI? Does VDI cover those guidelines, like rewrite them into the VDI standards? Are they kind of implicitly included? Can you um, shed some light about that? Mm -hmm. Very well. Uh, and, and perfect that you uh, asked me about a bit more guidance on that. As um, I don't want to be misunderstood in the following. If we translate the legislation idea of ATEX, this is what we do in our so-called Betriebssicherheitsverordnung, which is the ordinance on uh, safety for workers, put it simple. So we have to ensure to safeguard people against all hazards, including explosion hazards, while uh, having them at work. The VDI 2263 guidelines, they are themselves absolutely specific standards for typical equipment. So we do have, for example, a VDI standard 2263 part 7 that is purely addressing the risk of spray dryers. The question typically arises, is VDI then a law or is it mandatory? And it's a little bit difficult to explain that, but um, in a nutshell, it is not a law because it is just given out by an association of German engineers. However, being state of the art means that an operator should have very good reasons to deviate from this legislation. That makes sense. And I think that gives a good overview of how, how BDI ties in with ATEX. And we see this a little bit in other countries as well, where the, the legal legislation is, is separated from maybe these best practices or engineering guidelines or engineering recommended approaches. Uh, one thing that I really liked that you mentioned was VDIs sort of split into different parts depending on equipment. So you mentioned spray dryers as VDI 7 or part 7, VDI 2263 part 7. 
what other pieces of equipment are split out and talked about separately within within this uh, this framework? BDI right now is working on several different machines and equipment. So, for example, there will be an upcoming version uh, or an upcoming paper for uh, mixers. There are four other um, equipments um, addressed, and let me just pick the most common ones um, and that are uh, especially in the U.S., um, also quite well known. The 2263 Part 8 addresses the pure um, explosion risk handle towards bucket elevators. And the paper number six addresses the risk of dust collectors, backhouses, and filters. Okay, and we'll include those different, we'll include links to the VDI 2263 standard in general. If they have them kind of broken out to the different equipment, we'll include links to that as well on the show notes at dustsafetyscience.com slash 27 for this episode. Um, they'll, they'll probably be paid links, but we'll include through so that people can find that information if they need it. Some of the different regulatory frameworks seem to separate combustible dust from other explosion hazards, um, gas explosions and maybe liquid explosions. And then some don't. Like North America, the NFPA standards are very heavily combustible dust dependent, where some of the guests we've had on the podcast before really to say that an explosion hazard is an explosion hazard and that the type of fuel or the, the phase that the fuel is in, if you, if you want to go that far, um, really doesn't matter. What are, what are your thoughts on, on that? And just is combustible dust different than other hazards? And should we be thinking about it or treating it different? Mm, that's a very good question. Uh, actually, Chris, um, what I think is that talking about gas explosions and dust explosions is talking about um, uneven twins or an uneven pair of uh, brothers. So they can both uh, become very angry and uh, devastating. Uh, however, you can calm down each of those both uh, brothers uh, in a different way if, if you are at risky situations. Gas explosion safety is typically driven by a lot of preventative approaches. Gas explosions can be handled by measuring, for example, gas concentration, venting so that uh, the gas concentration can be um, put down. Uh, you can um, uh, inert uh, several processes. Gases are easy to be handled, if you ask me. It's always when you ask people about um, the difference between gas and dust, a lot of people would always tend to say like, well, gas explosion is like a super risky phenomenon. But um, I think Dust explosions are under, underestimated. This is the evil twin. You know, this is the, um, it is the situation that typically when you just compare equipment, how is gas transported in a certain way or in a, from a vessel A to vessel B, and how is dust transported from vessel A to vessel B? Just looking at the mechanics involved, the, the, the equipment involved, already tells, or, yeah, tells a, a different story uh, as with regard to the hazard because Looking at the typical machines that are involved in dust machines, in dust uh, handling machines, they are themselves providing a lot of ignition sources and the absolutely underestimated phenomenon of self-ignitions and self-ignition processes with dust make it so, make, yeah, really make dust the, uh, definitely the, the tougher, the tougher problem than gas explosions. Yeah, I like that breakdown. And you, you are a twin, is that correct? I am a twin. I'm the evil one. Yes, for sure. I'm the evil one. <laughs> but don't tell my wife. <laughs> that's a that's a really great breakdown. So there, 
what I hear you saying is that they, you know, they're, they have similarities, but maybe the approaches to protect or prevent are different. Yeah. You, you know, you can um, actually, and that's what was my PhD about is, and this is actually, actually it will be, um, and that's why I'm just laughing because I just find out that this is, um, yeah, quite funny because um, in the last VDI meeting of the 2263 part seven committee, where we are sitting on, uh, the decision was made that my, my um, method, my, my uh, approach towards the uh, risk assessment of explosion and fire safety will be implemented in the VDI, uh, in the VDI standard. So my work becomes part of a standard, quite proud. Um, as a side note, if you force yourself to approach either a gas hazard or a dust hazard in a systematic way, meaning you really follow kind of a questionnaire is, uh, the combustible dust present, uh, what, um, what kind of um, uh, period it will be maintaining frequent, uh, like the frequency of occurrence, that's what I'm going to say, like whether we're talking about different zones or different hazardous areas. So when, when, when you just force yourself to uh, then do um, systematic ignition hazard analysis and really understand explosion safety as an engineering discipline, you will be very much able to handle both of these uh, topic uh, in the right way. And that's what EDI gives you good guidance for. Okay. Yeah, that's a that's a great breakdown. And um, I like the systematic approach. I mean, you're saying there, if you kind of take out the biases and you take out the awareness because you're you're looking at it objectively, then then you can tackle both with, you know, with a proper risk analysis approach, whatever that analysis is, if it's a DHA, if it's a, some other type of analysis. Exactly. Um, so we covered the two the two twins, the the good twin and the evil twin of the explosion world, and VDI and how things look in Germany. We've talked a bit about Remy's approach, combining, you know, expertise in explosion safety with the products, so that uh, that that knowledge goes in there. We talked about the German framework. What are some of the similarities between how things are done in Germany in terms of, of regulation and awareness of combustible dust hazards? With what's elsewhere in the world, like America or even even other places, how does that all kind of fit in together? Well, simply spoken, uh, Chris, it is like that. That um, it is always a bit depending on the yeah. Let's let's take the example of German, uh, the Germans and the Americans. Um, the European approach is very probabilistic. Uh, it means that we compare the likelihood of uh, having um, the occurrence of an explosive atmosphere and allow under certain circumstances the occurrence of ignition sources in that areas. Meaning, uh, let me get an example. So class two, div two or zone 22 for the European listeners. If we have such a situation where we normally do not have uh, or only for a short period an explosive atmosphere, couldn't we there in these cases accept under certain circumstances a very seldom or rare occurrence of ignitions? Yes, we can, because the likelihood, the remaining risk that the three conditions of the fire triangle or the explosion triangle are met so that the explosive atmosphere is present at the same time than the um, ignition source is very, very rare. So the, the chances are rare so that we would say that this is acceptable. Uh, whereas the approach in, in America is, is slightly different. 
more the deterministic approach to say like, okay, there's an explosive atmosphere. And according to NFPA 652, NXP, ignition sources can be taken as given. So if the process doesn't provide, God will provide. And um, this leads sometimes to a different approach towards the protection. Um, I could name several um, differences, uh, technical difference right now, if you want me to do, or we just make another podcast on that. You can name a couple and maybe we'll see how, how big a topic that's going to be and, and maybe come back and address it later. Okay, let me probably take my favorite example. Probably all of the US-based uh, listeners may know about the so-called eight cubic foot uh, threshold for vessels. All vessels that are below this threshold, so meaning they are smaller than eight cubic foot and for the European friends of us, uh, and the rest of the world, this is around 250 liter. So if, if vessels are below that, they would not require protection in the US. Whereas in Germany, we would say that even a hundred cubic meter silo, and I'm sorry to not be able uh, on this live podcast to uh, make a, you know, to make the conversion into, into feed, but it's a big, big flower silo of a big, big company. Uh, let's put it like this. So in a, in a hundred cubic meter silo uh, for flour, we would not necessarily require explosion protection, meaning venting, uh, suppression, or isolation, if certain preventative approaches are taken care of. And um, this um, pure volume-driven deterministic de decision to not or to protect um, the vessel uh, is definitely um, one of the biggest differences uh, between the European approach and the US approach. Both of, of the approaches are, to me, acceptable, as long as someone is not picking always like the the the, the cherries out of uh, out of it. Um, the cheapest option. The cheapest option. Yeah, exactly. Right, and I'll actually add to that because it works the other way. So if you have a, a vessel that's less than that volume, but you have ignition sources going into it. And I'll, I'll put a video actually of a, of a, I think it's flour. That's it's creamer, a creamer dust explosion in a, um, 80 gallon drum or those kind of drums that you put, see at the bottom of a dust collector with the lid just put on top. So it's allowed to vent when the explosion happens and the lid actually with a steel ring covered to the top. It, and the lid is a rocket. Uh, it goes, it shoots up 40, 50 feet in the air. Um, so I'll put that video in the show notes at, at dustsafetyscience.com slash 27. So the the point I'm trying to make is there is different approaches globally and and some people, you know, there's different views on on this probabilistic versus deterministic, but these kind of just blanket statements of, of cutoffs are, are a little bit dangerous because, yeah, if you have something that has a, a flammable atmosphere constantly and you're putting ignition sources in there, eventually it's going to have an explosion. Um, just because it's lower than the smaller volume, people may just look over or gloss over it. There's other technical difficulties, like maybe it's hard to vent to something that small, but that doesn't mean you can't think about, okay, well, how could we stop people from being injured when this when this does explode? Yeah, let me be uh, provocative. Uh, regardless of the uh, of our countries, um, of our uh, continents, where are the dust characteristics tested? As per ASTM or EN or DEAN standard or VDI, it's all in the 20 liter sphere. And 20 liter is uh, one tenth of an eight cubic foot. 
So it means that even in such a small vessel, we are taking these small, uh, we are taking the, the, the characteristics from these small vessels and extrapolate it. Um, I, I was discussing this topic quite a lot. As you know, that I'm sometimes invited to the US to um, uh, moderate a little bit at, as the exotic uh, European uh, speaker with a nice uh, English, uh, with a nice English accent. Um, <laughs> you know, when I'm asked uh, or when I'm addressing this topic, people typically answer that they say, like, yep, um, the, and which is totally correct. They say, Look, the explosion or the expansion of an explosion is typically 10 times of the volume that it was at, at the point zero or at, at, the, at the time zero because of uh, 10 times uh, the, the pressure or 10 times the volume. So in an 800, uh, in an eight cubic foot um, vessel, you're typically not standing close enough to, to such a vessel um, that once it, um, it is ignited, you will only have in the surrounding of probably a couple of four or five feet, you will have um, the impact of an explosion. And that's why it could be somehow considered safe. But, you know, I don't want to come home to one of my uh, colleagues and say, uh, colleagues' wives and say, like, look, um, someone died because a screw was flying off a vessel that was not supposed to explode. It's, it's not just the flame effect. It's, it's also the rupturing parts and missiles that are, creating devastating uh, effects or that are creating hazards uh, in case of an energy explosion. And that's why pure volume approach to me is, is critical. This is, I, I, I see this critical. Yeah. And uh, all you need to do is take a look at the video that I'll post to show that, that frags and shrapnel um, that's coming from my, my background, high explosive terminology, but uh, the the stuff is coming pretty quick, and and like Johanna says, the smaller it is, if it was a screw, then it hits you right, and it's it's gonna hurt a lot. Uh, and if it's a small piece, then you know it's gonna go in pretty far. So it's it's scary stuff just to see that blanket approach put out there. And I'm not saying that's wrong. I'm just saying that you need to be you need to be aware, and you need to kind of think about it. The other thing is, if you have a facility that's not you know not meeting other requirements, like if you have combustible dust around, if you have other piece of equipment that aren't protected, then that can be ignition hazard for a secondary or tertiary or, or other explosions. It's, it's just important to, to be aware overall about the level of safety. So I like that point. I think we'll, we'll kind of move towards wrapping up here, but the, the one thing I want to get an idea to talk about with you was just where you have awareness basically all over the world on this topic. What are the, the difficulties that we have moving forward? Our kind of tagline this year is understanding combustible dust as a global challenge and developing global solutions. Um, so I'm trying to ask a lot of the guests that, especially those with um, worldwide exposure. From your side, what are the big challenges we have for explosion prevention and protection? Let me put a quote here first, um, Chris. Otto von Bismarck, he was once saying that laws are like sausages. It is better not to see them being made. And um, this describes a bit what I'm probably trying to say at the very end um, of the podcast is we should all understand that explosion safety is an engineering and a scientific discipline. And um, we should not have uh, any regulatory topics influenced by uh, lobbyism. We should understand that it doesn't matter where we are on this planet, the physics, the chemistry is the same. 
of course, the weather conditions may have a greater influence on the higher likelihood of uh, spark uh, discharges, for example, in drier areas than in more humid areas. But we should, at the very end of the day, um, see that explosions are just a, a nature-born phenomenon, and so they should be treated as such. Yeah, that's a good that's a good breakdown. I think we've had conversations about this before, and the other aspect is that is that it's really a scientific um, pursuit to to understand and protect from these. And with with our work, we we're actually trying to also combine, and I know Remy does this as well, and, and you've certainly done this, but combine university researchers with industrial needs, so that so that we're doing research in the right areas and trying to help learn the right areas. Exactly. And yeah, increase that kind of communication channel and really see explosion protection as this kind of scientific pursuit. And then like you're mentioning the, the regulation, the laws and that trying to remove any of the, uh, use the word lobbyism and I can't think of a better word. So I'll leave that kind of as the, as the word, but really we need to understand the science and we need to implement the best prevention and protection practices. Uh, and that's, that's really the, the almost the end of the story. That's what we need to do around the world, right? Yeah, and if I may add, um, last week we were sitting together, and we, I mean, it was um, the so-called uh, si- uh, the, the so-called index that you mentioned earlier in my introduction. Uh, we were all sitting there uh, during Powtech, and it was um, it was not just us. It, there were other people from FIKE, from BSMB, from IEP well-appreciated suppliers uh, and, and, and accepted suppliers in that market were sitting there. And we are all of the idea that safety should not know competition. And as there are still a lot of unsolved questions and problems and open topics and issues to be discussed, um, the idea of index is to bring together a lot of funds, a lot of uh, money, so that we can actually try to solve unsolved problems by, for example, carrying out explosion safety tests that no one themselves could afford. Certainly. And yeah, that's a, we'll include links to index as well in the show notes so that people can go learn more about that. I've been a, a partial member, I guess is the best way to put it for, for a while now. Uh, and I really appreciate the work the group's doing because it's like you mentioned, the, the universities are generally doing small laboratory scale testing, 20 liter scale, bench top scale. Um, but with the, the groups the index is putting together, you can get away with doing larger um, testing. And other groups, like Remby has a test facility. The What's the name of your guys' new test facility? Well, it's the Remby Research and Technology Center. Um, it's uh, right now, it has recently been uh, certified against the EN ISO 17025 standard. And uh, actually, we just carried out a lot of tests there for index. Yeah, that's a good point. And I'll actually mention the other ones. I mean, Bike also has a, a research center in um, Kansas City. IP has uh, research centers around the world as well. Um, Gexcon out of Norway has a, has a very large scale um, explosion center. They're doing a lot of gas testing, but they're probably doing some dust work as well. I know they're also doing some some dust work in in their their offices, which has caused them issues. Um, but that may be a topic of another podcast episode. So there are these groups around the world and bringing them together is an important thing to do to, to enhance the overall, if it's called, if we're calling it standards, we're calling um, legislation, really enhance the safety overall around the world in industries handling combustible dust. 
So with that, I think we'll wrap up this um, interview. I really appreciate your time. I'll do kind of a short summary as we normally do, but we talked to, we talked about Rembi. Um, we talked about the difference between just being an equipment provider and also having the expertise and providing services like you guys do, having research centers, participating in bilateral or multi-company or multinational research programs. We talked about the ATEX framework and the, the German standard framework for VDI, specifically VDI 2263, and then the different parts of that, which are, which are papers or reports that are focused on specific equipment, spray dryers, um, bucket elevators, dust collectors, and working on mixers now. We talked about dust versus gas and got into the evil twin and good twin story, which um, I will probably reuse at some point if you hear me talk at a, <laughs> at a conference that may come up. Yeah, if you quote me on that. <laughs> um, well, you might, get, you might get some funny pictures. You might get more than a quote, we'll say. <laughs> and we talked about uh, you know, European approach versus other approaches, difference between probabilistic and deterministic approaches. We'll probably add that as topics, more, more on that topic in the future on this podcast because it's, it's an open area of, of understanding. And yeah, and then kind of moving on to some of these, these big issues that we're having around the world and some approaches to stop them. So um, Dr. Lauterman, Johannes, I really appreciate your time. I really appreciate coming on and sharing all this knowledge. I look forward to the chance of, of getting you back on the podcast for a future episode on maybe even one of these topics in, in more detail. Yeah, Dr. Clooney, Chris. Keep up the good work, buddy. I really appreciate it. Thank you, man. We'll be talking soon. Okay, take care. Bye. So I hope you enjoyed that interview and that conversation with Dr. Lauterman and got to learn some from his experience in explosion safety and how that applies in different regions of the world. If you want to reach out to Johannes to discuss further what Remy does or what uh, the Work Index does or some of these other committees he's based on, his email will be in the show notes. Uh, and you can get those at dustsafetyscience.com slash 27. If you have any questions about today's episode, you can reach out to me to direct, directly or leave them in the show notes, again, at that same page. If you have any questions or topics that you'd like to discuss further on the podcast, you can go ask those at dustsafetyscience.com slash ask, A-S-K, and we'll bring somebody on, a subject matter expert in that area, to discuss that topic. As always, I want to say thank you for listening to the Dust Safety Science Podcast. Hope you're enjoying these episodes. I hope you're finding them useful and helpful in your day-to-day -day work, whether it's in industry handling combustible dust or as a service or equipment provider in this area or a researcher or somebody who's um, just working alongside these industries in your day-to-day -day operations. I hope you have a safe week ahead. I'm really looking forward to having you tune in to next week's episode of the Dust Safety Science Podcast. Mm -hmm.